listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The ushers are coming forward with kids' packs for the kids as well as Bibles that we have for uh, every one of you. We would love, I would love for this uh, room today to resemble that of maybe a bit of a chicken coop. Have you ever been in a chicken coop and what do chickens do all the time? Their heads are going up and down, up and down. I trust that today your, your heads are going to be going up and down in the Word of God. You're going to be looking, you're going to be writing down the things we're talking about today, extra scripture references, and then you're going to be looking up at the screen and if you have to you have to look at me a little bit every once in a while in that but up and down up and down eyes in the word and then eyes on the screen and eyes up listening and and uh, and ears listening to what God's word has to say Titus chapter 3 and so they're handing out Bibles the ushers are if you need a Bible raise your hand they will give you a Bible we'd love a copy of God's word in every hand either on phone or tablet form or the best form of all paper um, because that's the kind that that Jesus used uh, I'm sure and um, so just encourage you to have your Bibles, have them open to Titus chapter 3. We're going to be reading from there in a moment as we continue our study through the book of Titus this summer. And we are trusting that God would, would, would do a work as these truths today that we'll see once again loaded with gospel truth for us. And so we want to capture all that we can. And so be sure to write down the uh, notes as we go along. There's a lot of good things for you to study and to keep thinking about and, and digging into this next week. Because folks, Ultimately, if there's going to be hope in our world, hope for our troubled world, again, watch the news every day, every week, and, and you see how troubled and how messed up things And The answer is not going to be found in politics or in economics or people just getting along. You know, if people just get along a little bit better or it's not going to be found in healthy living or having a, a certain standard of living. Hope starts here. It starts with the Word of God. It starts with God's people. It starts with the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is where hope is found. And it happens when God's people dump religion. That's right. Dump religion. Dump going through the motions. Dump lukewarmness. Dump double-mindedness double-mindedness and hypocrisy and make Jesus, make his word our greatest passion, our greatest pursuit in our lives. When that happens, there will be hope for our world. Hope that transforms lives and families and communities. I like what St. Augustine said many years ago. He said, to fall in love with God is the greatest of all romances. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest human achievement. That is the greatest thing we can achieve for our lives is to find a relationship, a romantic love relationship different than an earthly romance, of course, but a, a, a relationship with God is the greatest pursuit we can have. That's the greatest pursuit amongst all things. And what happens when this takes place, we have a life of meaning, of purpose, of power, of joy, and ultimately of hope. And this is where true hope begins. Hope for the church begins in a relationship with God that we can have through Jesus Christ. And it comes when we are passionately pursuing that relationship with him. And that means there's hope for the church. That means there's hope for you and for me and for families. And it also means that there's hope for our world. And remember the word hope, the biblical word hope is so different than the word hope that is so oftentimes used today in, in our culture, in our language. Worldly hope, the hope that the word that we toss around so much for the word hope is an optimistic, cross my fingers, I hope it's going to be a nice day today, or I hope that this project goes well, I hope I get this house, I hope I'm able to purchase this car, I hope that, you know, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that there's still going to be some good cherries to eat this summer as we keep hearing how the crop is being devastated by these sporadic rain showers and it's just devastating to hear that so I hope I hope that cherries will continue on because I happen to like cherries 
Biblical hope is so different than that cross my fingers kind of hope. Biblical hope is certainty. It's an anchor. It's confident hope that we can have. And so when you see this word hope and as we talk about it and you see it in our passage today, it is a sure thing. It is a done deal. Nothing can undo it. And there is hope for the church, hope for you and me, and hope for our world and it's found in Jesus Christ. However, you and I, we get so distracted, don't we? We get so distracted by other passions, by other pursuits. We get discouraged so easily by things that happen around us, things that people say, things in the news. We get redirected and, and, and we turn our passions and pursuits towards other things that are temporal because it seems that we are constantly chasing after other things or lesser things. I think this is what um, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, they call him the Prince of Preachers, one of the greatest preachers since the Apostle Paul. He lived in the 1800s. Look at what he had to say in the 1800s if we have that quote for us. It says, I believe that one reason why the church, remember this is the 1800s, why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. We've become so much like the world we think that we have to become so much like the world in order to win the world that we lose the influence that we're supposed to have as the church, as God's people. And so here in chapter 3, we see, as we've been working through this book, we see instructions that, that Paul has given to Titus about the church and about the gospel in chapter 1 and, and what kind of leaders that need to be appointed, godly elders leading the church we see instructions for all of us in, in chapter 2, but now we see instructions on how we are to impact our world. And so chapter 3 begins with some very important words, and, and, and you may want to underline them. We're going to work through the first two words. It's going to take us a moment to work through the first two words, and then we're going to zip through the other seven verses today here in the first part of Ch Titus chapter 3. But what are the first two words? Paul is telling T Titus, he says, remind them. Remind the church, remind Christians, remind Christ followers, because we, we have a tendency to forget. And he says, so remember, get them to remember this. Don't, don't let them forget this. You know what, it saddens me when uh, you do some little research, and I did some this past week on what is called the forgetting curve. The forgetting curve is the, basically, in general, the average amount of uh, information we retain after hearing a talk, a lecture, a sermon like this. Uh, it's rather discouraging knowing that within one hour, 50% of what we talk about today uh, will be forgotten by you. That's really discouraging. Uh, within 24 hours, 70%. So this time tomorrow, like, what did the pastor talk about in church? On I can't remember. I, you know, just remember a little bit about it. And then by next week, like 90% of it is gone. And so this is why Paul is saying, remind them, don't let them forget. And so repetition, repetition is important because we tend to forget things, don't we? Do, do you tend to forget things? I do. I forget birthdays, anniversaries, important dates on the calendar. I mean, these things just kind of sneak up on you. It's like, ooh, how did that happen? You know, we forget these things. Weekly, it seems, I cannot find where my wallet or my phone is or my keys. And, and usually there's a little bit of a mad scramble. Usually on Sunday mornings, as in this morning, I even asked a few people, hey, did you see my Bible? I misplace my Bible almost every week. Thankfully, I have a wife at the end of the service because I somehow always, the Bible always makes it home. Plus, it has my name in it now because I lost one here a number of years ago. So hopefully this helps, you know, me to be able to find it. It seems like I'm always losing things. And I don't know if you're just like that or you just think, you're so old. You know, that wouldn't happen. But uh, when we went on holidays just earlier in, in first part of July, I received a new credit card um, in the mail and it, because the other one is expiring and I thought, oh, I don't have time to start the transition work of, of this card. I'll deal with it when I get home, but I should put it somewhere safe that thieves won't find it and I will remember where I put it. So I specifically remember, Meldon, remember where you put it. Came home, do you think I could remember where it was? No, I could not. I looked there. I looked through the church office. I looked many times through my uh, little carrying bag that I have, and I started ripping through all of the areas, drawers, and, and different things. Like, where did I put it? Where did I put it? And then when I finally found it, it was like, I didn't even remember putting it there. And I know you're thinking, you're so old. Yeah. It, it, it'll happen to you, young bucks who think that you can remember everything because you can't and you won't. It's kind of interesting, though, that apparently, as I've done a little further research, you actually don't forget it. The information, it's there. 
it's stored in your brain somewhere. We just don't know how to access it. So it's figuring out how to access all of that stuff that we're storing up. It's there. And one of the ways that we remember things and remember what we are to do and remember is repetition and reminders. And so Paul is doing that here to Titus in chapter 3, verse 1. He starts out, remind them. Remind them of the mission. Remind them of the mission that we are called to live. We are not called to live the mission of just navel-gazing, taking care of our own self and looking at ourselves. And, and, and we have a greater mission than just what is currently around us. We have a greater mission. In chapter 2, we see it. We live in such a way that others would adorn the gospel of God, that others would come to know God and his love for us through Jesus Christ. David Platt uh, this quote, so good, read it this week, and he says, the message of biblical Christianity is not God loves me, period, as if it were the object of our own faith. The message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him, his ways, his salvation, his glory, and his greatness known among the nations. That's why we're still existing as followers of Jesus Christ. It's not about our pursuits, not about our finances, not about making a name for ourselves. It's about his glory and making his name great among the nations. God is the object of our faith, and Christianity centers around him. We are not at the end. We are not the end of the gospel. Our God is. What a wake-up, what a reminder that is. And so that's why Paul, at the start of chapter 3, he says, remind them, Titus, remind them of these gospel truths that we have a mission, we have a mission that we are to, to live out um, before the people around us in glory, in honor of God. And, and if you remember, just a little recap that Paul is writing to Titus, this young pastor that he sent out to strengthen these young churches on the beautiful island of Crete, that, that beautiful now tourist destination, gorgeous island in the South Mediterranean, beautiful, beautiful place, that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful island, yet it was so broken, wasn't it? So broken, so broken. Sexual immorality was rampant where even one of their own philosophers, we talked about this when we were looking at chapter one, one of their own philosophers or writers had this to say about the Cretans, and it wasn't very flattering. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This described their society. As well, there were false teachers infiltrating the church, trying to deceive, who were being deceived themselves, but were also trying to deceive other Christians. And so I believe this is such a good word for us. Titus is such a good word for us because we're living in Crete. Kelowna, Okanagan, Canada, it's Crete. And, and, and we need to see that. And so God's word applies throughout the century and it applies in an impactful way into our lives today. And so Paul is saying to Titus, he's saying to the Christians, he's saying to you and I here today, don't assimilate. We don't need to live and talk and sound and think and be like the culture around us. We are to think and live differently. We are to think and live with a gospel focus, with a God focus in our lives. We are to influence and impact the culture around us by living out and declaring the gospel through our lives and through our lips. And in this passage, we see to impact the world around us. We want to make a difference. You want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. This church wants to make a difference. Well, here's what we need to do. We need to remember these four requirements. And so today, I encourage you to write down these four requirements that we see in order to impact our world. And, 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 and it's not about taking a whole bunch of classes, and it's not about this and that and another thing. It's very simple that we see here, but, but, but also very truth-telling. And the first thing is we remember how we ought to live. Paul tells us here how we ought to live as believers in Christ. He says, remind them, again, he's talking to Christians, to us here today, if you're in Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, he's talking to you today. This is to you, this is to you, this isn't just to the person next to you, this is to you, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Ouch! I don't know, I read that, and I'm just getting like, oh boy, that is, whoo! Submissive to rulers and authorities, <laughs> to be obedient. That means we have to obey our elected officials? You mean, we are called here to obey them? That doesn't, 
Oh yeah, we are here and in other places in scriptures, we are to support, pray for, honor the institutions of government that God has placed over us. You say, yeah, but, but back in Crete in those days when life would have been simpler and a lot easier than it is now, they didn't have to deal with the crazies that we have to deal with in Ottawa and Washington or in other nations today. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. They had Nero, who is the emperor, who is rounding up Christians and lighting them on fire to be uh, human torches at his garden party. Times were a little tougher back then. They had some real crazies to deal with, not just with Nero and Rome, but also the, the local governments and officials were, were, were under the authority of Nero and, and they continued in, in a very like, like manner to them, who took great advantage of the people and especially oftentimes to Christians, that Christians suffered great and terrible persecution. And what, is, what, what does Paul tell Titus uh, for us as believers? To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Those are tough words, but it's important. Here's some other passages, just in case you think, well, that's just a one-off. It doesn't, you know, the Bible isn't really that full of, oh, no, it is. Um, take a look at Romans chapter thir- 13 this past week. Also, write down Matthew 22. Do some homework this week. Study that. See what God's word has to say when it comes to obeying our leaders. Um, what it also says about paying our taxes, all of our taxes, not looking for the way out, not working under the table. Jesus said, pay to Caesar what is owed to Caesar, not half of what's owed to Caesar, and, 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 and let's just do a little side deal here, all of it. Even if it seems unfair, even if it seems everyone else is doing it, even if it seems unreasonable, we honor God. We're instructed to do this a few years ago, a, brother in, a brother-in-law of mine, my sister's husband, left uh, ministry for a season and, and they decided they would build a house in Alberta in a community where they lived and he would build that house and he had a lot of gifts to be able to do that and a lot of ability and thought, let's build a house and then we'll turn around and flip it and then uh, continue on in ministry in perhaps a few years. And, and I remember talking to him before that and even since that and just, just about this subject and he says, I could have made or I could have saved thousands of dollars in that house build if I was just willing to compromise and work for cash or work under the table or pay in cash and make other arrangements. And we might justify and say, well, in the end, I mean, what's more important? I've got I to feed my family. Or is it more important to, to be right before God and to believe and to know that God will take care of our families? God will take, when we honor God, God honors us. Do we resort to stealing? Because that's what it is. Even though it seems unfair, brutal, what, what are we told to do? We are to obey, we are to honor those in government over us. Do we trust a God to supply and to meet our needs? You see, we can talk about how corrupt and rebellious the world is, but maybe we need to start, and I believe we do, God's word even says that judgment begins with the house of God. We need to look at our own lives. We can talk about the rebellion that we see in our world, but we see the rebellion that's in our own heart. See it in my own life. Notice it says, and authorities. So government leaders, but also authorities, he goes on to say. So does that mean the police? (laughs) Does that mean we are to obey traffic laws? Okay, preacher, now you're meddling. Don't, you know, you're not going to start telling me how how I should drive and how the police should really do their job better. No. No, we're to be the best model citizens around. And again, I'm not standing up here pastor perfect and, 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 and I can't because my family is here. This is so convicting, is working on this this week. You know, it, it's so easy to gather this mentality when it comes to the police, those who provide protection for us. You say, yeah, but there's some bad apples. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of good apples in there who are trying to keep us safe and, and, and we are to follow them. And, but so oftentimes, isn't it so easy to develop an attitude when we see them? What do we call them? Same animals that go around in a barnyard and we really like the bacon that is produced from them. We call them, you know, different names or, or it's almost like, they're such jerks. 
I just hate them. They're just out to get people. Yeah, we hate and we think people are jerks who are trying to keep us safe. You know, just putting a spin on it like that way. I mean, this is just working through it this week and, and, and I mean, the spirit of God convicting me in these areas and so I share this with you. We are to honor, we are to obey, we are to respect those in authority over us. But then, second, but then we also see it goes on there. If you're looking down at the word of God, it says to be ready for every good work. We look to aid, to help, to serve people any way we can. We look to be eager to serve, not just when it's convenient or we feel like it or like, oh, I've got a spare extra 10 minutes in my day or I've got a few hours here or there. Eager to serve. And this goes with Galatians 6.10. And uh, write down that reference and read that just to, um, just to back up what we're talking about. It just goes so well with it. It complements it where it says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. For brothers and sisters, we are to do good to all people and especially for one another. And, and, and when we think about the course of our lives and our week, how much time is spent actually living this out? We spend so much time on ourselves, our wants, our desires, our interests, our education, our career goals, our lives, our physical fitness, our you know, pursuits and, 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 and things that we want to go after. And we'll adjust our schedules in a moment's notice for things we're really interested and really want to do that's going to help achieve and make us feel good or get us to where we want to be. But when it comes to serving and helping those around us, eh, you know, I'm pretty busy. I don't know if I'm available for that. Are we eager, as eager to help and to serve and assist those around us, our neighbors, our coworkers here in the church? as we are to take care of our own needs. We're, we're to be eager to serve, to, to come alongside of others. Ironically, in studying this passage this week, it's been an awful week, and especially the last few days is kind of narrowing in on this message and, and, and the preaching points that, that God was really um, impressing upon my own heart. And, and part of my prayer into Thursday and Friday, especially is God, I desire to have a greater impact for you, not for my name, not for my glory, but ultimately for you, God, to, to have a, a greater witness to the unsaved people because so oftentimes, a lot of times, it's rubbing shoulders and meeting and, and talking and planning. It's all with fellow believers, which is good, but I desire to have a greater impact and opportunity to impact the lives of lost people. And then, ironically, you be careful what you pray for because yesterday afternoon, just as finished up teaching the uh, Hope Church Essentials class and, and was just reviewing the sermon coming to this point, Charlotte gets a text. Charlotte, my wife, gets a text from one of her colleagues um, who's a funeral director. And this is the text. I kind of chuckled a little part of it. She said, does Melvin, I'm sure that was autocorrect, um, does Melvin uh, do funerals? In brackets, this would be a completely secular basically a celebrant, essentially. Basically meaning these people have no religious affiliation. They even said, we don't want no priest, we don't want anything, anyone like that, but someone just to lead a celebration of this person's life. And she went on to say, I have a family that I think his demeanor would mesh well with. A very sweet but devastated family. A 65-year-old husband, father, as healthy as could be, coaching his grandkids soccer, just died suddenly of a heart aneurysm. Without warning, family is devastated. And my first reaction is, no, <laughs> I'm busy. I mean, it's summer, it's, you know, uh, we have uh, friends that uh, are coming to visit this next week, and, and, and we can start thinking of a thousand excuses why it just wouldn't work, and all of a sudden it's just like, Melden, what have you been praying for? And as I talked with her, and, and it will even right away, it's like, I've got to do this. I've just got to come alongside. And, and yes, I, it may not be like a normal funeral service where I get to preach a gospel message, but I get to live a gospel message, amen? Yeah. But so oftentimes, we're just not ready for any good week we're at work because we're so busy in our own good work, which at the end is wood, hay, and stubble, which really means nothing if it's not about eternity and helping others to get there. What we're working on and pressing towards is just, it's gonna burn. It's gonna be gone. It's gonna rust. It's gonna fall apart. It's gonna disappoint. Looking in verse two, heads down, looking at, you, at, at the word of God, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people, underline the word all, because I looked it up this past week in the Greek, that word all, and you know what the word all means in Greek? 
It means all. Yeah, so, so basically, it means all people. You know those people who just get under your skin? Those people you just want to hammer them if you, in love if you could? Well, at least people who you want to talk about, you know, or, or really give it to, you know, at least to talk to other people about them. And that under that, that word all, God, who inspired Paul to write this by his Holy Spirit, he said to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to, be, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Not just towards the people we like or you know, the projects that we're working on or working with, those kind of people. No, it means all people. That includes, um, now get this, I'm adding some names to this, but hopefully this isn't anyone's name here. I tried to choose some obscure names so that you know, I'm not picking on you or anything like that. That wasn't my intention. But this all means all people like Bart the Bragger. You know, Bart the Bragger, you know, the, the one who just loves to talk about their favorite person <laughs> themselves. You know, anyone like that, oh, it just drives you crazy. Like, they just won't shut up about themselves, about their job, about their money, about their accomplishments, about this and that, Bart the Bragger. Or how, how about Ulrich, the one-upper? You know, that person that just can always one-up your story. You're, you know, or, or the story's being told, and, and it's just like this awesome story, and then Ulrich just shows up with this more awesome story, and you think, he's just full of it. But, you know, he's just, you know, Ulrich, the one-upper. Or how about Duncan, the downer? You know, that person you go to, hey, how are you doing? Oh, fine. <laughs> oh, look, it's a beautiful day. It'll probably rain. You know, or I'll get a sunburn. You know, and, and it's just like anything and everything is just like Duncan, the downer. Like, who got you? You know, I mean, it's just like turn anything into a negative and it's just like you walk away and it's just like, now I feel like Duncan, the downer. I'm just down, you know. No, what are we supposed to do? We're to love. We are to care for we are to show perfect perfect love towards them perfect courtesy it says how about igor the expert you know that person who just knows everything about everything like don't even bother googling it because they will give you their explanation and the sad thing is oftentimes they're right doesn't that drive you nuts it's just like okay i'm gonna fact check that afterwards like oh nuts they're right oh igor the expert just can't stand guys Gals like him, just so irritating. Or how about Buck, the button pusher? You know, that person, just the way they talk, just the way they eat or chew or rant, or the way they work out in the gym and they grunt and they groan, or they, you know, just like, oh, that person is just like, you know, the, the nails on the chalkboard just, just. Notice his perfect courtesy towards all people. That word perfect, you say, well, that's out because I can't do that and I'm never going to get there. No, the word perfect in understanding is a maturing, fully formed courtesy. This should be a growth point in our lives that, that throughout our lives, these, whether it's Igor the expert or Buck the, 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 the button pusher or Ulrich the one upper, that, that we are growing in our love and even, yes, in our tolerance for people like this and even perhaps one day come to appreciate these people in our lives as God does a work in their lives, or even if God doesn't do a work in their life, because if God doesn't do that work in, his, in their life, he's still gonna keep doing that work in our lives, right? And teaching us patience and obedience to what we're called to do here. And you say, well, why do we have to live this way? That just seems like a whole bunch of rules. That just seems kinda, you know, like, why do we do this? To impact our world, this is how we're supposed to live? Well, we need to remember, yes, this is how we're to live, but second of all, we also see that we need to remember how we used to live. Look at it in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hatred, hated by others and hating one another. Have you ever wondered where you would be today if it wasn't for the grace of God in your life? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how many of you would be in jail? How many of you would be alive even today? I mean, you, when, you just, when you think about perhaps the way that you were going, the trajectory that you were on, if it wasn't for Christ, where would you be today? I oftentimes joke, but I actually feel rather uh, strongly that more than likely I'd be in jail. Um, because probably uh, in jail for, for arson. Um, I loved fire when I was a kid. 
fire, fire, fire. And um, my mom and dad usually listen online to these messages. So the confession, they'll hear that this week as they listen. And I'll probably get a phone call. But I used to light stuff on fire in my room. And, and you're like, how do they not know? Well, it was a basement room. Had the window open. Even it was minus 40 in Regina. But I had a wood-burning set. And so with that wood-burning set, I'd always start out by burning some wood so you get that nice pine wood-burning smell. You know, they think, oh, he's just such a crafty young fella. No, no, I was burning things. Like, you know, um, model, model, uh, models that you, you know, there's the paint, that, the oil paint that would go with models, you know, guys who used to do that kind of thing. And there's the paint thinner. Oh, yeah, that stuff burned nicely, you know. And, and I mean, just all kinds of things. I mean, even one time a report card, ooh, didn't mean for that to happen. You know, and, and these fires in my room and then on the farm, I would go out there in the summer and my dad would go off to town to, to take, the, uh, you know, take the wheat, and I was just sometimes alone on the farm. I mean, I would burn things, and, you know, and I love fire. I mean, when I got to go out in the field, and, and literally my dad wanted me to burn the straw, it was like, this is the best day ever. Yeah, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'm sure I would be in jail for arson. And, uh, you know, and so you start thinking about your, your life in that way. And Paul is describing here in what he had to say in these words in verse 3. He's saying, this was either the trajectory, this was where you were at, or the trajectory where you were going. Because you see, we all find ourselves in this passage. We all ourselves, it says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred and others and hating one another. Well, let's, let's just work through that just, just quickly. So eyes down, eyes up as we work through this. First of all, he says foolish. We were once foolish in our spiritual understanding. Goes on to say disobedient. We were living for ourselves. We were, didn't care. We were the boss of our own lives. And so we were doing, who, who cares what God's word says? Who cares what God's ways have to, uh, what they tell us? Or led astray. The Bible says we all like sheep have been led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, filling our inner cravings with lust or porn or video games or materialism or sports or, or, or food or, or sleep or, or work or whatever it is, just, just going after whatever our own heart just is pursuing, our own passions want for us. Going on to say, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That word malice, if you want to underline, if you have room in your Bible or if you put in your note, that word malice is anger. But not just any kind of anger. This is an anger with an intent to harm. Do we see a lot of that in our world today? Our world is filled with malice. Our son works at a restaurant in town and, and, and ended up hearing just, just one day recently a, a grandmother, a mother, and a granddaughter all came in. Three generations of a family came in, were enjoying a meal together, but it wasn't a very, it was more of a family feud than it was a, a, a time of family fellowship around some good food. Partway through the meal somewhere in there, the, the, the mother slapped the grandmother on the face and cut her face with her glasses and, and, and uh, the family was, um, you know, just the, the serving staff was trying to assist in, in some ways uh, with the, the grandmother who was bleeding and then later on when they left the restaurant, they had to call the police because they started a fight and the mother was choking the grandmother on the grass outside the restaurant and you think, what is going on? This is our world. This is the trajectory of our lives, and it is even within our own lives. You say, well, I'm not, I, I, I can be an angry person, but I wouldn't go that far. Don't you be so sure, because the trajectory just keeps going. If we don't deal with it, if the grace and the gospel does not impact our lives, this is the direction we are heading. How about the word in here that we see, envy? The word envy is jealousy on steroids. Write that down. Envy, jealousy on steroids. And, and this is how you could define it. It's when you see someone and you're like, ooh, that's a nice car. You're a little jealous on the inside. That's jealousy. It's just like, wow, I wish I had that car. Well, envy says, oh, that's a nice car. How can you get that? I hope you smash it up. I hope that somebody keys that car. In fact, I might eat. That's envy. And again, you say, oh, Melvin, I'd never. Any of the stuff you're talking about, you know, we shake hands and say, hey, how are you? Oh, good, you know, good to see you. How's your week? Oh, it's good. If we could, you know, when you came walking in here, if somehow through technology we could just flash up on the screen when everyone comes walking in, uh, actually none of us would show up, uh, the thoughts and the actions in, the thoughts in your mind and the actions that happened throughout the course of this week, would we even want that to be on display? I doubt it. 
And he reminds us that this is who we once were. This is where a life without God takes us. And Paul is saying, this is us before without Christ. And this is where our lives can be headed if we don't know him. Sin corrupts, it destroys. And even as believers in Christ, we can have that conversion experience where we come in faith genuinely to the Lord and yet we can start wandering away and some of these old habits and these old things start to take root in our lives again. And we need God's mercy, we need God's grace, we need his forgiveness in our lives. And, and, and the sin is so corrupting, it makes a train wreck of our lives, of our relationships, our family, our society. Now we're living with that, aren't we? In, 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 in full gear, we're seeing that. But something changes all of that. Someone has come to bring a difference, to change it, and that's who? It is Jesus, and it is the good news, it is the gospel. You see, Spurgeon, love this quote, and if you want to snap a picture of it, or else all of these are available online for one week at, uh, later on this afternoon, along with the message on our, our website. But here's this quote, too many, too many think lightly of sin, and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God, convicted and condemned, with the rope around his neck, is the man to weep for joy when is pardoned. When he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him and to, love, to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. It's understanding that because of sin and the weight that that sin carries is like a noose around our neck and it is about to, to it will one day kill us, destroy us, send us to hell. But then... The gospel, the good news, infiltrates our lives. It changes us. And it causes us to understand that we've been pardoned, that the noose, the rope has been removed. And we hate that evil that has been a part of our lives. We understand in a growing, deepening way of his forgiveness and his mercy, how he has cleansed us. And you see, folks, we, we had the list today of behavior that Paul gave to us. But one thing you understand throughout the word of God and through especially in Paul's writings that before we are to behave, we have to behold. Before we are told to behave and live a certain way, we behold the gospel, we behold the glory of God, and we behold his son who he sent to redeem us and to forgive us. And once we behold him and our lives have been changed and transformed at the moment of our salvation, we then want to behave, we want to live for him. And so that is why as we look here, Thirdly, we must remember to impact our world, we must remember how we ought to live, how we used to live, but now thirdly, how we must remember the gospel daily in our lives. Look at, at verse four. I'm gonna read to the end of verse six. But, this is a huge but in the Bible, isn't it? I think sometime doing a, 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 a sermon series on the big buts in the Bible. And this is one of the biggest buts you're gonna find. This is a beautiful one. This is the gospel, folks. These are important words. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Folks, now this is us with Christ. Point two, as we are looking at verse three, that is us without Christ, ignoring Christ, doing our own thing. But now this is us living the gospel, understanding, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, reminding ourselves this is us now with Christ. This is what happens. When we come to that understanding that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, God in the flesh, to this earth. Fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death on the cruel cross, taking our sin upon himself, experiencing the wrath of God that we so deserve, that we had come in our way. He took that upon himself. And this isn't just something we believe. 
This is something that isn't just head knowledge from the Word of God. This is something we must then take and personally apply to our lives. By coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I am dead. I have that noose around my neck. I am dead. I'm dirty. I'm foolish. I've been living for myself, gratifying my wants, my passions. I'm drowning. I'm dying. I'm dead. I'm done. And I need to be saved. Jesus, I need you. And at that point, when we understand our brokenness and we receive his cleansing and forgiveness, understanding that now my sins are covered, he is paid for those sins and I become his child when I receive his grace, his mercy and forgiveness. When I say I'm no longer the king of my life, Jesus, he is the king. It's understanding that I did all the sinning and who did all the saving? Not me. It was our God. And what he does here as we've just read, what he did for the Apostle Paul, for Titus, for the church in Crete, what he has done in many of your lives, he will do in every life that will turn and surrender their lives to him. In any culture, in any corruption, there are no hard or impossible cases for God. And these verses here, folks, that's why I underline them, highlight them. This is the clearest, most just concise explanations of the gospel found anywhere in all of Paul's letters, if not the entire word of God. Look at verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of, a, of God, our Savior, appeared, God saw us in our pitiful state. He sees you today in your pitiful state. And what happens? He responds in love. He comes after us with this amazing, pursuing Love for us. And it wasn't just a verbal love. Hey, I love you. Hey, come to me. Be, become one of my children because I love you. No, it, it was not just a verbal love. It was demonstrated as a physical love by sending his only son. Look at, it continues on there. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Not the goodness in my heart, not my good works that leads to my salvation, but the love in his heart, his mercy. You see, if, if you took the very best that you could ever do, it still won't be enough to save you. Not enough good works, good deeds, just trying to live a good life, be a good neighbor, be a good employee, pay my taxes, do everything right, volunteer when I can, and, and that, that's not gonna save you. Isaiah 64, verse six says that all of our righteous deeds are, are like filthy rags. They're defiled at best in, in, in the presence and the understanding of a holy God. But according to his mercy, God did not withhold his love, his mercy towards us. By the washing of regeneration, it goes on to say, look at that, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. At the moment of our salvation, we are justified, we are washed, we are cleansed from the stain of sin. We will never have to answer for those past sins that have been put under the blood. We are redeemed, we are forgiven. Sometimes we're gonna live with the consequences of those sin, but we are not going to be, those sins will not be held against us by our God. He loves us, he forgives us. He's not into guilt trips. His spirit convicts us. We confess those sins. It's done. The washing of regeneration. This is the new birth. This is the new start. This is the new life that we are giving. And it goes on, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who breathes new life into us. His spirit comes inside. It invades our life, giving us not only the new desires but also a new power to be able to live a changed life. There's gonna be a hunger for God. There's gonna, you're gonna start seeing things differently. The Holy Spirit takes, on, uh, takes us on a transform, transforming journey and when we start to wander into areas of sin, all of a sudden we, we, we sense the conviction, uh-uh, don't go that way, uh-uh, that's not for you, uh-uh. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that that happens in our life because he's within us. You know what the best anger management class you, someone could ever take? is to receive Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit come in and take residence. He's the gentle spirit. We learn from him. He empowers us. And when we say yes 
to doing God's will and to obeying him. It ignites the Spirit's power in us. It says, yes, let's get after this. He works with our will and with our spirit in that way. And it's all because of Jesus. So remember We must remember the gospel daily. It has saved us and it continues to save us because even though we have been saved from the penalty of sin and and we can have victory over the power of sin in our lives, we're going to struggle with the presence of sin because we walk in a dirty world. We still have this fleshly nature that is slowly, slowly, slowly being transformed and being sanctified, but we're going to keep fighting that presence of sin and so we need to continue to keep applying the gospel to that in our lives. And then the fourth thing that we must remember, we cannot forget, is we remember the glorious future that awaits. (laughs) Look at this, verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a good word. It's gonna be a good way to end. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In the past few weeks, and especially this past week, it seems social media and the news media has been taken by storm by the Face app, app for on phones. It's just blowing up on social media with celebrities and various people posting pictures of themselves. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably haven't been on social media this week or you probably haven't been in the news because it's been a rather big deal of what's going on. It's kind of funny and also some caution with it and all of that. And, and um, and, and if you haven't heard, and just to explain, you take a picture of yourself and you put it in the app and, and, and it gets uploaded to Russia. And um, uh, the Russians then take, well, that's all part of it, but um, they take, and, and you can put different filters on your face and one is like ages you about 30 years. And uh, it's hilarious. I mean, so, so I asked some of the men to submit some before and after pictures to us of, of this. And so some, some men uh, were humble enough to do this or crazy enough or their wives gave their approval or just a little understanding what they might look like in 30 years or so. So uh, let's, let's see our first before picture. Yeah, so before and after that we have there. So... Um, so we see Brett King, who's coming on staff, and, and I said, that's what ministry will do to you in, in uh, uh, 30 years or so, and then Dan at the back, and then do we have another uh, set of pictures there? All right, so, so there we have Darren, Darren, and then James. Uh, James was happy he still has some hair, he said, and uh, again, just great pictures, and, and the next one then. All right, so even Corbin got in, and then Michael just looking really good. And uh, yeah, so, so there's a lot of laughs and different things. And, 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 and I decided to do it too. And so I, I put a picture into the app, and I was going, oh, how's this going to turn out? How am I going to look in 30 years? Well, I'll take a look. Yeah, <laughs> see? Not bad, hey? Yeah. Anyways, we can go on to the next point. Um, I'm not going to show you the way mine turned out. It was awful. Uh, so, yeah, still pride issues I need to deal with. Um, but, folks, this is a reminder to us that there is a better day coming. That we must remember daily, we must remember of the glorious future that awaits because the face. The face app does not really reveal a various glorious future, just not only looks wise, I mean, it's, it's a big deal because we're oftentimes so vain, and, um, but also in bodies that slow down and get weak and get sick. This world is not our home, and yet we're living like kings thinking this is our home and building our palaces and our kingdoms here. If it's not about the gospel, if it's not about making an impact for him, folks, it's, it's not going to last. Not saying it's not worth it because these things are vital that we provide and, 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 and we take care of responsibilities and we, we, we come alongside, but it's, off to, it's with that gospel motivation. It's, it's because of the glorious future, because of what God has done what, uh, in and through Christ Jesus There's a better day awaiting for the follower of Christ. The future of our world, it looks so bleak and it looks so broken. And yet, we have a glorious future that awaits. It says those who are justified by grace become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen to this, listen to this. This is just an amazing fact and understanding. Most kings, prime ministers, presidents, 
regardless of who they are, they destroy those who rebel against them, don't they? Seen that all throughout history. You rebel against me, ooh, I will destroy you. I will turn you into something, right? What does God do to us as rebels? He draws us near. He pursues us. He forgives us. And he makes us sons and daughters. And even more than that, he gives us a seat at the table. The hope of eternal life. See those words there where it says the hope of eternal life? Underline that and put the certainty of eternal life is ours in Christ. What a hope. What a reality that we have. And so this morning, I'd encourage you just as we spend time closing out our time in response, in committing our lives to to God in, in worship, to take time to examine our hearts, to repent, to repent. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. If you've been wandering and getting yourself dirty and defiled again by the things of this world, it's time to repent and to be washed, to be forgiven and to turn from that and, and to determine and, and have others come alongside you to love and encourage and pray for you? Are there areas of sin? Are there patterns in your life? Relationships that need to be cut off? You're, not, you're thinking that you want to have an influence on the world, but the world is having a greater influence on you and you need to cut those things out of your life or cut some relationships off. There's some areas you need to come clean in and start honoring the Lord. Maybe you're in a season of sin in your life and you need to repent and be restored. You're here today and you look like you're alive, but on the inside you're just dead. You're going through the motions and it's asking God again for his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. As a child of his, we can get so disoriented by the things and the passions of this world and we need wake up calls like today and say examine my life God in light of your word Holy Spirit point out those areas and confess those areas to God maybe it's your attitude towards authority folks before you post things before your mouth opens up about people and situations we need to run it through the grid of what we've heard today and say Holy Spirit guide my fingers as I type guide my mouth as I speak towards people of other races or people who are different than us. We are called to live differently and to live out the gospel. And who is, the, who is God calling you to love, to influence, to serve, to impact, to hunker down and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve Christ in this area, whether it's here or somewhere in society that God's calling you to do that. What is hindering my influence for Christ today? Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are the God. Yes, you give us these instructions. You tell us how we ought to live our lives, but it's all in response to your love and to your mercy. And would your mercy just cause us to live in repentance, daily repentance, and even now in a spirit of repentance in our lives, in in our church here this morning, O God. And would we be filled with your loving kindness? a growing maturity, love and courtesy and care for all people around us. That whether it's through our lives and through conversations we have throughout the course of the week, the way that we spend our time, our money, our influences, oh God, that it would be about your kingdom, your kingdom's sake, first and foremost, and everything would flow out of that. So we're gonna be singing a song of response and and a song where Just allow God to do that work in your heart. If you want to stand as we worship, feel free to do so if you want to sit and reflect. But then at the very end, there's a a change of songs and it's, it's a declaration. I trust that would be the declaration in our hearts here today.